All right, as the uh, two to four-year-olds are released for Children's Church, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Is anyone going to be offended if I do not use the Garth Brooks microphone? Be offended. This morning, we get to read a beautiful story of redemption. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, and we are going to walk through this chapter as a display of the Apostle Peter living out the passion and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you, as you read through the the, the book of Acts, to think about all the many and various ways the resurrection itself is preached throughout that book. So Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, going through the end of the chapter, about that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry 
with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Now, you note at the beginning that what time of year this episode takes place. It takes place at the Passover. And we're going to walk through several things in this story that display that this episode in Peter's life is a living acting out of the crucifixion and resurrection, the passion and resurrection of Christ. And you're going to see in Luke a great poet because he just identifies over and over little areas of Peter's life. They get redeemed. So you know what the Passover is and the meaning of the Passover, not only in Judaism, but in Christianity, of course. At the Passover, it is the covering of the blood of the lamb that redeems the people of God. It is by the covering of the blood that the people of God are saved from the death angel and they are redeemed from their exile to be released to go into the promised land. And it is at the Passover that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, institutes the Lord's Supper and says, do this in remembrance of me, displaying that he himself is the Pascal Lamb and that he has come to deliver his people from not simply a physical exile or an occupying army, but from sin. Indeed, when Christ is risen from the grave, he displays not only is he the great Messiah, but that he is the great king, that God has declared himself king. He is king and not Herod and not Caesar. And you'll recall that at that Passover meal, Christ told Peter that very night that Peter would deny him three times. And indeed, the story unfolds and Peter declares he won't deny him. And you note that while Jesus is praying in the garden, the disciples sleep and Jesus is sweating blood. And that night, after Jesus is arrested, Peter would deny him three times. I do not know what you mean, he says to the first servant girl. I do not know the man, he says to the second servant girl. And I don't know the man again, he stands to the bystanders who are questioning whether this Galilean knew Jesus. So here it is at the Passover just like at the arrest of Christ, it is over the Passover. And just like Christ, Peter himself is seized. I want you to note verse one. Herod laid violent what? Pretend like this is Philip and you'll answer. Herod laid violent what on him? Hands. And there is a motif in the book of Acts about hands. In the prior chapter, um, it in the prior chapter, you see that the Lord's hand is with men from Cyprus and Cyrene who are going and preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Uh, and, and you see that by 
the hand of Barnabas and Paul, they are delivering a gift from the church at Antioch to the church at Jerusalem because of a prophecy Agabus had prophesied about there being a great famine. You see uh, the sending out of Paul and Barnabas later on their missionary journey by the church at Antioch where they lay hands on them. You see uh, with Philip and uh, with, with John and Peter when they come down to Samaria after, after Philip had been preaching. And Peter lays hands on people. The Holy Spirit descends. And you see over and over again the laying on of hands by the disciples or the hand of God is with the disciples. And so juxtaposed with the healing and delivering hand of God and his apostles is the violent hand of Herod. The violent hand of Caesar's emissary in Judea. And so just as Jesus was seized by the chief priests and their minions, Peter is seized by Rome. And really, Herod should be seen as kind of a halfway between Rome and Jerusalem. And it would take more than the length of a sermon to walk you through all the various Herods and their progeny in the New Testament. But I'll give you a quick synopsis so you know. Because I always wonder when you're reading this, which Herod are we talking about? And so the Herod at the time of the birth of Christ and the slaughter of the innocents, that's Herod the Great. One of his sons, Herod Antipas, is Herod at the time of the crucifixion of Christ. That's not this one. This is Herod Agrippa, the nephew of Herod Antipas, the grandson of Herod the Great. And to tell you just what a violent and wicked man Herod Agrippa is, he actually serves time in prison at some point because he said an untoward remark about the emperor Tiberius. But it happens that Herod Agrippa's best friend, or one of his best friends, was a guy named Caligula. And so when Caligula rises to become Caesar, Caligula not only releases Herod Agrippa from prison, but gives him this territory in Judea that had been governed by his uncle and his grandfather. Um, so Herod Agrippa is an evil man, but the, Her- the Herodian kings were always trying to cu- curry favor with their subjects. They are vassals of Rome. And within Rome, your job as a local leader is to keep peace. And so these Herodian leaders are always trying to placate the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders. And that's what's happening here. James, Peter, etc. they are all set up against the Sadducean leadership chiefly because these men preached and believed in the resurrection. And the Sadducees, who had power in this world, didn't need to worry about a world to come or a new heavens and a new earth. These men, the Sadducees, the chief priests and the scribes, they were wedded to this world. And Herod Herod Agrippa is wedded to them. And to placate them, he has James arrested and kills him, laying violent hands on the apostles, and then has Peter arrested, really to curry favor with them. When Peter is describing Jesus having been arrested, you know in that great sermon at Pentecost, Peter describes that as Jesus having been delivered over, delivered up according to the foreordained plan and foreknowledge of God. Indeed, Everything in life is according to the divine, definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Do you believe that? And the church in Jerusalem, when, when, when one of the apostles is arrested and killed, 
when the chief apostle Peter, upon whose faith declares Christ, the church would be built, is arrested. They do something that the apostles did not do. When our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood, what did the apostles do? They slept. They slept. And these men have seen Christ crucified. Christ is crucified. They scurry and run. When the apostles are arrested, when one of them is killed, what does this church do? Do they run? Do they hide? Do they sleep? No, no, 10,000 times no. Write this down with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. When the church faced adversity, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. And even that very dark night when Peter finds himself in between two soldiers bound by two chains, that little church in Mary's house, they're praying. And aren't you glad that we serve a God who answers prayer? And whether Peter had found his last that night as James had done or would be released miraculously, I assure you that church at Mary's house would have rejoiced in the Lord all the same. Peter, note, is entombed. Do you see that? He's in jail. He is surrounded at night, no doubt, by darkness. Calling to mind when Jesus after he is crucified, is laid in the tomb. And just as Jesus' tomb is guarded by soldiers, so too Peter is guarded by Roman sentries. And just as the tomb of Christ would be empty the next day, so too would this prison. So it it is during the Passover. He has been delivered over just as Christ was delivered over. He is entombed as Christ was entombed. And then in verse 7 we see he is struck on his side. But he is not struck on his side by a Roman spear, is he? It is not a strike to hasten the death of Messiah. No, it is a strike to awaken Christ's apostle. It is a strike to the side by an angel, an angel of the Lord, to awaken the apostle and tell him to rise up. And here we must acknowledge that so many of the miracles in Acts are displays of the resurrection. Have you ever thought about that? Think about the healing of the lame beggar by Peter and John. When they come across the lame beggar at the portico of Solomon and he's lying prostrate, wanting food, wanting money, and they say, silver and gold, have we none? Rise and walk. That is a display of the resurrection. When Peter goes to Joppa and raises Dorcas from the dead, that is a display of the resurrection, right? So many times when you see the apostles engage in engage in a miracle. That miracle is to validate the messianic claims of Christ and to validate apostolic authority. And they do that through displaying and preaching the resurrection. These miracles we see in Acts preach the resurrection of Christ. 
And whenever you see a miracle in the book of Acts, it will invariably in some way, whether it's removing the scales from the eyes or making the blind see or healing the sick or striking down someone with blindness who's getting in the way of the gospel. They are invariably displays of the work of God. And you see that, too, isn't it true? That those miracles, not only like what we're seeing here of Peter being raised from a tomb, so to speak. The healing of the paralytic man. Causing the lame beggar to rise up, raising Dorcas from the dead. Those are miracles that display not only the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but uh, display the miracle of salvation as well. Weren't you dead? Weren't you made alive when you were entombed in your own flesh? And God vivified you in Christ, making you a new creation. And here, Peter is told to rise up. And indeed, he rises up and he doesn't even know what's happening. He has no idea. He thinks it's a dream. And then see how he comes to Mary's house. And I want to note here how the gospel elevates women and indeed elevates all those who are considered lowly in whatever time and space you find yourself. For it was women after the resurrection of Christ who became the apostles to the apostles, was it not? And here they're at Mary's house and a little servant girl comes out. And this little servant girl says, Peter's not dead. He's here. And as an aside, the early church is no stranger to uh, to some false doctrine. They declare it's an angel. Right. But isn't that what the what the apostles thought of Christ when Christ appears after the resurrection? They think he's a ghost. And then Jesus. No, this is a resurrected body. No, I'm not a ghost. This is me. And Peter very quietly. Let me tell you what happened. But this is not Peter's first experience. First interaction with a servant girl during the Passover after an arrest as a. That fateful night where Peter was to deny our Lord three times. Who is it that walks up to him? Servant girl. Weren't you. One of the ones with the man. I don't know him. A second servant girl. Weren't weren't you with him? Aren't you a Galilean? I don't know what you're talking about. Here he sees a little servant girl named Rhoda. And Rhoda believes him. And he says, I am Peter. I am the follower of Christ. And she excitedly goes and tells the other. Do you see how Peter's life is displaying one of redemption and the sweetness of our Lord to give this to him, to redeem this moment? It must be something that Peter thought about every Passover as he took communion. Of how he himself betrayed Christ. And if you look at Peter's early sermons, whether it's Acts 2 or Acts 3 or Acts 4. They have a lot of common elements to them. 
And one of the common elements to those sermons is Peter blames his audience. It's not seeker sensitive. He blames his audience for killing Christ. Every time in these early sermons, one of the things he points out, Christ is the Messiah. He's a fulfillment of prophecy. He is, he is king. He is risen and resurrected. And he was put to death by you. And there's something that must be in Peter that knows that he himself must be reminded every time denied Christ. And it, I bet it come, came into his mind every Passover. And here he is, must have been contemplating that, that very night entombed with these soldiers. But I hope you see that with the gospel, Christ is declared king and he is not merely king of Jerusalem. No. He is higher than Caesar. He is higher than the leader of the known world. And through this story, you see that Christ is greater than Caesar's army that is surrounding an apostle of Christ. So Peter escapes miraculously. And just as the tomb was empty the next day, when Mary and Martha came. So upon inspection, they find that the prison is empty the next day. There's no small thing to lose a prisoner in Rome. And indeed, these men lost their lives because Christ had defeated Caesar. You see night turning into morning and you see disbelief turning into joy. And then we see the fall of Herod. Herod was angry. He was an angry man. There's no accident this story chases the one of Peter escaping miraculously. We highlight here Herod's attitude both towards God's people and to those people with whom he should be in league, Tyre and Sidon. Who are synonymous with wickedness, by the way. Tyre and Sidon come to him and they're wanting peace. They're wanting peace with Rome. They want peace with this emissary of Rome and Judea. And notice what Herod has done. He arrays himself in great splendor. He speaks with great oration. And people say, oh, he speaks as of God and not of man. And he is committing in that moment the very sin that Lucifer committed, the very sin that Adam committed. Dear friend, the very sin you commit, when we commit any sin and placate sin and mollycoddle sin in our lives, when we do that, we are placing ourselves as God and not of man. And Herod does that. But Herod is doing that in his capacity and this hybrid position of a leader of Jerusalem and Rome. And I don't think we can fully understand the gospel without in part appreciating what the children of Israel and indeed the, the apostles must have thought about being in exile in their own country. The history of the Old Testament is found in the children of Israel finding themselves in exile and being redeemed out of exile again and again. And that exile is, all, is always a result of their sin, the sin of the children of Israel. 
And indeed, that's true for Rome's occupation of Israel at the time of Christ. Israel had sinned, and they had been in exile to Egypt or Assyria or to Babylon, and now they're exiled within their own country. And Rome controls. And at the resurrection of Christ, Christ is declaring that all authority has been given to him. Isn't that right? He's declaring that at the end of Matthew. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And Christ there declares himself king. And whenever you see, and, and the entire book of Acts is a journey from Jerusalem to Rome. Have you thought of that? That we begin in Jerusalem. The saints are gathered there. And there's this statement by Christ that you're going to preach the gospel in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And indeed, as persecution comes in Jerusalem, the gospel goes out, often to the shock of those people who are in Jerusalem. That's the controversies with the Gentiles. And when the Samaritans are converted, they send people down. What's going on there? They didn't contemplate the Samaritans. And then Paul, at the end of Acts, he goes en route to Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem finds himself in Rome. And this whole book is displaying that our God, our king, is king not only of the Jews, but of all the world. And it sets himself up against both Jerusalem and Rome. And here, this man, Herod, who's got one foot in with Caligula and one foot in with the Sadducees, gets up and displays himself as believing he is equated with God and God strikes him down, strikes him down right there. And it's just a matter of record that at these games they were hosting that he died immediately and unexpectedly. And that is a display of God, of his control over the whole world. And in the story of Peter, it is a display of his redemption, not only of Peter's soul and body, but of his life. And dear friends, so often in our lives, we are confronted with these little moments where we have failed. And then Christ redeems these things for us every day. And he's done it for every family under the sound of my voice this morning. If you are a child of God, he has redeemed you. And he will display that redemption in your everyday life in stories just as miraculous as the one where we find Peter reliving the passion and the resurrection of Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for saving a people for yourself. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us this community of believers on whom we can rely, for whom we can pray, and keep us mindful at all times that you have redeemed us out of darkness and into light. And that just as Christ was resurrected, so we too have been made alive. In Christ's name, amen.